Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. This morning we'll be in Philippians 2, being Christ-like, showing Jesus to the world. Kind of all fits together, doesn't it? Although it wasn't generated that way. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Ron. Jeremy did the background, so you couldn't see it. So, uh, uh, but, but showing the world should be our main focus. We're in Philippians chapter 2, uh, in case you can't read that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. So Philippians chapter 2. Now in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle gives exhortations about duties that are involved like, and one of some of those are to be like-minded, to be lowly-minded, which in his mind presses forward the example of Jesus Christ. It is also to be diligent and serious in Christian course and to adorn their Christian profession by several suitable graces. He concludes with the popular notice and commendation of two members, ministers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whom he designed to send to them. How many of you are familiar with conditional statements? Anybody familiar with conditional statements? If you've been through the ranks of the schools in the last years or so, or you've led your kids or grants through it, conditional statements have if... And they have statements that are contingent on something else. Well, in this passage, it talks about conditional statements that lead us to ask other questions. But they're such as therefore and if. That I really want us to look at as being indicative of something. And is it indicative of something we can do or have done? We might ask that question. But it's more so in this instance, it refers to what Jesus has already accomplished. So if you think of if and then statements, you know you look at this and you see what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. And so for us, that should let us take a deep breath this morning knowing that He has already accomplished all of these things. He's just asking us to be involved where He is. He's asking us to go out. And so He's speaking to this congregational group. He's speaking to these people that... That not only uh, need encouragement, but also need to be reminded of the purpose that they have set forth before them. And I know none of us have to be reminded of things. None of us have to be told things. Maybe you're not like me. I have to get hit by a two by four sometimes to get reminded of what I should be doing. Sometimes those powerful reminders are just the fuel that we need to be able to step forward and do what God has called us to do and what He has already accomplished. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, it says, Therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation in love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and if any affection and compassion... So he's saying, if there's any of this to be had, if there's anything like this available to you, if there's any encouragement for you, then it needs to come from him and his plan for you in our lives. There was an example on Christmas Day some years ago. A little boy was going out, going in and out of the church several times. When asked this question, he said, somebody asked him, what gift did you ask of the Christ child? And he replied, I didn't ask for anything. 
His response was this, and it needs to be some of our responses this morning. I didn't ask for anything. I was just in there loving him for a little while. Sometimes we think of Christmas and we think about the encouragement, the spirit, the fellowship, the affection, the compassion. But sometimes all we need this Christmas is to have a childlike faith, don't we? Children don't put all of these kind of conditions on everything. They just, if they say they love you, they love you, right? If they say they're with you, they're with you. If they say they're coming and they're going to be there, they're going to be there in that sense. They are not thinking of a million things. So making it on this. So the rest of that passage in Philippians 2, 2 talks about unification and completeness. What does this mean? That our example, our purpose is to make more of him than ourselves, right? Our purpose is to make more of him and not of ourselves. That means that we find completeness in Christ. And we want to have that same influence and that same purpose with others around us. Philippians 2.2 2 says this. It says, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. So being together... Is important. It's an important aspect of the church. It's an important aspect of what it means to have fellowship and to be in right standing and to stand with others. Because I believe that you and I are far greater when we're standing together than when we're just going by ourselves, right? How many of us have ever been through a low time and we needed Christian brothers and sisters and when they came alongside of us, it made all the difference in the world? How many times have we been through even the good days to have somebody come up to us and say, God is good, right? Amen. And so over and over again, this unification that needed to be there, they were united, keeping the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, they were going to shut the door on the devil making his way in that would disrupt any kind of unity and togetherness they had. They said, God is so good, and what he has done, we're thankful for. We need nothing else. So what are you and I to do? How are we to take Philippians 2 and this passage and what they say to the Philippians and embark on looking at it for ourselves? Well, it says further along in this and how we're to conduct ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, and this is hard. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I want us to look to the left and the right this morning and says, you're more important. Turn to somebody and say, you're more important. You're more important. That's right. Sorry. Some of you are sitting by yourself. That's okay. But, um, but think about this. Some of y'all are just getting there. I know, it just takes a while. Uh, But regard more important, that means that we seek to serve others in their needs. We seek to help others in their time of need. We seek to do the things that are necessary to walk in unity. And we put things aside that ought not be there, right? Because we can find the most, uh, I guess, innate things to be mad about or upset about. or, Or we can find all kinds of things to grab onto, Consider one another's needs is more important to your, than yourselves. Verse 4 says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Do you know when we have our time of prayer every day, we have a grand opportunity to go to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters. 
We have a grand opportunity to pray for those that are lost in our lives. We have a great opportunity to go to the Lord and thank Him for what He has done. We have a great opportunity, yes, to bring our needs But I believe when we come and we say, thank you, God, for what you have done, and we praise him and we lift up others needs and we pray for our needs, we get them in the right order, don't we? Because God says that we are to be thankful for him, that we are to reach out to those that are around us and bring their needs, our brothers and sisters above our own needs. But also, he says, yes, we're important too. But, but how often have you been praying and then you thought, well, my worry, my difficulty isn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. We say, well, maybe I, what I'm going through is not nearly as bad as what others are walking through. So I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. And if my requests or my needs don't get met, but yet theirs do, I'm going to still rejoice, right? Because it's not about you and I. See, I would rather my needs not get met And somebody else know Jesus Christ. Somebody else have food that they need for that day. Somebody else be healed of something they're dealing with. Somebody else be encouraged. Because I tell you, when I see those things and when we see those things, we should be encouraged, right? We should be uplifted. We should be ones who say, God is good. Even if I'm going through difficult moments, I want to pray for others. The other thing we see, thirdly, is that Jesus felt and experienced all the things which we do. That means this, that Jesus can relate to us. But the other kicker is this, we can relate to him, can't we? We can walk through the shoes of what Jesus went through as he dealt with hunger, temptation, death, as he dealt with good times, bad times, people that didn't understand him, people that ridiculed him, that persecuted him, people that, that, that gave him such a hard time because they believed they knew more about the Word of God than Jesus Christ did. There are people that, that related to that, and we relate to that. But it tells us because we can relate to him, because he relates to us, then we can have the attitude that he had. Now, I'm not talking about some of y'all that, that, that have those attitudes that your parents refer to and say, you have an attitude problem, which is what my parents said to me growing up, and I'm not going to tell you which one. But I, but I was always, it was the way I said something, not necessarily what I said. Anybody ever got in trouble for that? Some of y'all are just looking down right now because you don't want to. But, uh, but we understand this, this attitude here. Verse 5 says this, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what did he do? He chose humility, right? He chose humility and he chose voluntary servitude to God and God alone. You and I must choose humility, We must choose to serve God in His way alone. That means we have to almost erase ourselves out of it and say, God, I want your will to be done. And God, I want to serve like you. And God, whatever the cost, I want to put others' needs ahead of my own needs. Because I tell you, if you've ever walked upon somebody who hadn't eaten in days and they eat their first bite of food, you're reminded of what God can do when we set ourselves aside And God does what only He can do. And so, humility, 
means a setting aside of our own needs for God's work in us. When we step away from our own ideals or our own ideas of things, then God is able to do even greater things. It says, Philippians 2, 7, it said, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in likeness of men. That means that Jesus chose to be lowly so that we might be lifted before an almighty God. He chose to go to God in prayer before he made any decision. He chose to spend time. Not with the elite or the people who are squeaky clean or never did anything wrong. Jesus went and spent time with all of us. Right? He spent time with us who are not perfect. All of us who mess up. All of us who sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of those who no one else would dine with or invite them in. Jesus chose us. He took on the form of us. And therefore he knows us. And see, we learn fourthly that Jesus, Jesus was obedient even unto death for us. Jesus chose to die for me and for you because the plan of the Father was greater than anything that was before him. Jesus could have stopped at any time anything that was happening to him. Because we know just as he was fully man, he was fully God. But yet, whenever he chose to be beaten and scourged for my and your transgressions, when he chose to bear that cross, when he chose to be crucified, the whole world thought, you know, this is over. It's done with. We've got rid of this Jesus problem. But what we know is that the grave he went into, he did not stay there. Three days later, he arose from that grave and God did that. He conquered sin forever. And so you and I have the awesome opportunity to know what Jesus went through as we are brought and made new through Jesus Christ, through his salvation. We can walk in that newness and that freedom of life. So Jesus being obedient unto death for us was an example about how we need to live as well. In verse 8 it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And there's so many people that would say, Death on the cross? Did Jesus feel all of that? I guarantee you he felt the anguish of the cross. But he also felt this, he felt the anguish of our sin that was greater than that. And I truly believe when he looked out in anguish because of the physical pain, he knew of the spiritual pain that was all over the world and he felt it in that moment as he paid for our sins. He stood in a place where I deserved to stand. And he was hung on a cross that I should have been on. But he did it because no one else could and then no one else could overcome. He chose to sacrifice so that we might live. Death on a cross. But we know the name of Jesus was then highly favored. Philippians 2 verses 9 and 10. It says, For this reason God exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So this, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow of those who are on heaven, those who are on earth, and under the earth. 
In other words, there will be a recognition in this life or the next that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That means that there will be a recognition point if you have denied Him all your life that you still will stand before Him in accountability and judgment. And there will be a moment in your mind that's kind of like this. A big light will come on and you say, I've missed the opportunity that was afforded to me a thousand times. There were people who knocked, who came, who saw, who shared, who prayed with me, and yet I walked away from that. Or you'll say, there's my Jesus, and I'm home. And maybe you haven't felt at home for a long time. But it says here, it says that everyone will confess, Philippians 2.11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as part of that confession, we should continue seeking to grow and mature in Christ. One of the things that that requires of me and you is this, is that we have to live a life of submission. Well, nobody's going to be over me. Nobody's going to be stronger than me. Nobody's going to be in leadership of me. But George Mueller said this to, to one who asked him in the secret of his service. He said this. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died as he spoke. He bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world. Its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and my friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. There is a point where we have to realize who we serve in this world. And we have to submit ourselves to Christ and Christ alone. And so Philippians 2, 12 says this, says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember that God is always doing something in my life and your life. That there's always a purpose in the trials and the pains and the difficulties and the good times, when everything seems to go our way or when nothing seems to go our way, when we're heartbroken for our friends and family, when we're heartbroken for our community, when we're heartbroken for the missions and missionaries throughout the world, when we're heartbroken over everything, God's work is not through with us. So that, that growing through submission and sanctification and God's work in us is for God's glory. For God's name to be glorified in this world. So how can you and I stand out when the entire world wants terribly to be accepted and not to be told they need to change? You know, we live in a society where nobody wants to stand out. Nobody wants to be different. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to accept others in the way that they think. But God's word is not relative. It's absolute. Amen. It's not based on what everybody gets together and thinks is right or wrong. God's word says what is right and what is wrong, what is just and what is pure and what is God honoring. So it tells us to do some things. And for verse 14 through 16, it tells us to do these things. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh Uh-oh. 
That's hard to do, right? How many of us are chronic complainers? Something hurts all the time, right? All right, some of y'all are still young and you don't know what I'm talking about. But verse 15 says, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is that not where we are right now? Are we not in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that has said what is acceptable and right, which is totally different than what God says is acceptable and right? And the value we place on ourselves for many is not the value that God has placed upon us. But it says for us who are choosing to live like Jesus and put others ahead of ourselves and look at what's around us it says among whom you appear as lights in the world one of the terms that we call of jesus is the great light of the world right well if he's the great light of the world then we must be those cheap flashlights that you get at the store right the ones that are about this big that sometimes work and sometimes you have to shake them and hit them to work But regardless of that, we are to live in that manner. And so it says, Peer is lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the word, right? Holding fast to the word, okay? Anybody ever got tree sap on your hands? If I had tree sap on my hands right now, do you think I could let go of this real easy? It wouldn't come off, right? The same thing goes is that We need to be so connected with Him that it does not leave our hands and hearts and minds. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toll in vain. That means that I lived purposefully. All of us want to know when our day comes and when the preacher stands up and tells of how we lived, That we lived in a manner to bring Christ to the doorsteps and the neighborhoods and the world around us. Are we willing to give up everything for the gospel message to continue to be demonstrated and told to the very ends of the earth? Philippians 2, 17 and 18 says this. But even if I am am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. I You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You know, we hear so many different statements that are out there. We hear conditional statements all the time. But you and I ought to live in a sense of gratefulness for the encouragement we find in Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus is more than enough? Amen? He is more than enough. And we ought to be thankful that our salvation is not contingent on us. Or else all of us would have no hope if it was on us. But also we can identify with Jesus not only because He came to save and redeem, but He felt humanity in its fullness. And even though He knew all things, He still chose to die for us. Y'all, He saw the ability of humans to do evil, to do bad and wretched things, yet He still chose to die for us. He chose to die for the very people that put Him on the cross, although it wasn't the man that put Him on the cross. He chose to go there. 
He still wanted to forgive them of all that they had done, even in the immense pain that he felt. And in Jesus' sacrifice, he's given the name above all names. So how are you and I in our lives seeking to mature and grow in Christ? Are we seeking and following him for more than just our initial salvation experience? In other words, it needs to be more than just Jesus saved me, but Jesus used me. And God, if I get nothing out of it, God, I want you to get the glory. Amen? See, we shouldn't become comfortable or lazy in our faith. We should always say there's more to learn and do for God. You know, I feel like a lot of times we live too situationally or we don't live day to day for God. What we need to do is live for Him. But see, this, na- this same salvation that changes the way we live should change the way that we treat one another, shouldn't it? If Christ is in you and I, and if Christ has changed our life, and if Christ has redeemed us, encourages us, directs us, guides us, gives us the ability to have His Word, to know what He has and wills for our life, then how are you and I sharing Jesus with those in our lives? And how are we serving as we go in our life? The Gospel is what needs to be on our mouths And a lot of times we see the videos like we saw a minute ago. We say, well, that's what we send money to missionaries for. And that's what we send people all over the world for. But God has you and I planted in a place that he wants to use us for his name's sake. And you might think I'm in a less than ideal place in life. And you might be. But why does he have you there? What's his purpose for you? If you find yourself in a classroom and you're a student, what's your purpose? To make him known, to pray for your friends, and to do what he has called us to do, to voluntarily serve so that his name is glorified, even if nobody remembers your name. The same thing goes if you're in the workforce, how you conduct business, how you live and treat others matters, because it reflects back what you believe in and who you believe in. The same thing goes as whenever we have an opportunity to share our faith, we need to share our faith. Whenever we have an opportunity to serve, we need to serve. And we can all pray for God's will in the lives of our friends and family. So will you make that commitment today? In the time of our invitation, God might be leading you to know Him as Lord and Savior. There might not be another tomorrow for you. You might not be able to press it on and just just put on a good face. But I'm telling you, there will be a time to which you will stand in judgment before God. And your family will be grieving. And you will be placed before a pulpit like this. What will people say of Christ in your life? Will the assurance of Christ be spoken of? Will they know that you believe in Jesus? So do you know Him as Lord and Savior? And you might say, well, well, preacher, that day is going to come years down the road, right? We don't know that, do we? Tomorrow, today, five minutes from now could be that time. And see, the thing about it is, we're all, just like we've been born, there's a day that it will be time to die. But you have a choice in the here and now to know Jesus. To know Him as Lord and Savior. 
and to allow for Him to change the way that you see, that you treat, that you serve, that you go for others. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I know Jesus already, but there would be little to no evidence in my life of that fact. Maybe you need to live more courageously and more boldly for the one who gave his life for you. And even if your life is poured out as a drink offering before mankind, God is still good and God is still glorified. That my friends and family might know Jesus Christ, that I might encounter somebody this week, or maybe in your heart this morning, you've got somebody that's been burdening you, a name, a person, a people, that maybe you need to come to the altar and cry out for. Maybe you've been called to serve as a missionary throughout the United States, throughout the world, and maybe that's a submission point you need to have today as you surrender to that before Him. However, wherever God has called you to, I invite you to stand as I pray. Heavenly Father God, we come today. God, we come to not only praise your name, but God, we come this morning to just be reminded and reflect on your sacrifice. Be reminded and reflect on your goodness, your love, and your ability to save the darkest soul. Father God, thank you that it's not contingent on me and what I can do or what us and all of us can do. It's on what Jesus Christ did as he voluntarily gave his life for mine. So that I might be forgiven and loved and have eternal life forevermore. Father God, I'll pray for the ones that are here that are contemplating whether or not they have ever given their life to you. Father God, just remind them that it is so worth it. To live and to love and to go and to serve you and you alone. Father God, put that clean heart in us. Put that that plan in our lives. Give us the courage to step out when no one else will. Because God, we're not guaranteed a moment, a minute, an hour past now. So Father, I pray that you give us the courage to do that. God, also I pray that you give us the courage as believers to go and tell the good news. To put others' needs ahead of our own. To stand together when the whole world wants to be a part of things. God, we stand with you. Father God, we say that your word is truth. And that's what we put our lives on. Father God, who have you called us to tell? Where have you called us to go? What people group can we pray for even in today? God, I pray that we do so this morning. Because every second, every moment, somebody's dying to know Jesus. And we need to be doing something about it. Father God, I pray on this morning that you forgive us of our iniquities. And you scatter them as far as the east is the west. And you remind us that we have a purpose and a plan greater than ourselves. Father, and it's in your very name that we do pray. Amen.
You look before and you do see Psalm 112. It says, Behold, trouble and darkness dim is very bad, yet not so bad, but to the upright there shall arise the light in the darkness. And at the evening time, Zechariah 14, 7 says, At the evening time it shall be light. So in the time of such dimness or darkness, there comes a light. In the worst of times, we notice here, in the worst of times, God's people have a nevertheless to comfort them. That nevertheless, even though they are in trouble, even though they are being persecuted, even as they are going through sorrowful times, they are not forsaken. And we are not forsaken. We can always rejoice no matter what comes our way. When things are the darkest, it is he who forms the light and creates the darkness. Has a point of both, they're bound. Set one on the other. And he can say no further, no longer. So my question for you this evening is this. Is there room, any room, for Jesus in your life? Is there any room for Jesus in your life? And we really have to answer that question. You know, I kind of took this mindset from the fact of when Mary and Joseph were traveling, they tried to stay somewhere, and there was no vacancy sign. Essentially, it was told to them, there's nowhere to stay here. And so I think about it oftentimes in our meetings. Uh, we might not ever say that, but we might get so busy in our life to where our lives say that we have no room for Jesus in our lives. See, because I really think it's something we can all agree on, that we're always busy, seemingly, and short on time. But the thing that I have observed in all of this is we always make time for the things which matter to us all. Right. We always say we're short on time, preacher. I can't do that, or I can't tell the good news, or I can't go there, or I can't spend time reading the Bible. I've got to get this and this and that and that. But you know what? Monday night, I can carve out two, three hours to watch a football game, or or I, I can make more time for this or more time for that. And we literally show what's most important. Saint Augustine said it this way: He declared, "God wants us to give. God wants to give us something." but cannot because our hands are full, there's nowhere for him to put it. And so I never thought about it like that, that God's trying to give us direction, give us purpose, give us the knowledge and understanding that we need for what we're about to face, yet our hands are full, we're always busy, we're always short on time, and we're always looking at things the way that the world seems to think there's all this darkness, there's all this gloom, there's all this difficulty that goes on. And, and I wish I had an answer for why do things have to be so hard sometimes, or why do things have to be so difficult, or why do things have to happen in the world. But what I do have is an answer that God's Word leads us to. In Isaiah chapter 9, He gives us, it foreshadows things that are to come. Meaning that it says while things might look this way now, things are going to be different and very soon. So it says in verse 1, it says now, it says, but there will be no more room for a burden who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthali with contempt. 
But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So there's going to be a change that comes. That God's going to do something, and he desires to do something in that land. But I think he can do something in our lives if we let him do that too. If we stop all of the busyness and get so involved in our lives and what we think we have to do, and say, God, do your best in me. I'll give you all the time that you need. And so, the second thing we look at in Isaiah chapter 9, and, and the way that we see this is you and I live in a world of darkness and sin, evil and shame, regret, and so many other things. Martin Luther said this about that, my conscience is bound to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant it since it is dangerous to act against conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. There's a promise in, starting the second verse of Isaiah 9, too, and it's the promise of life. You know the difference when it's dark outside and light comes in? Light drives back to darkness, doesn't it? When it's been dark around here and the lights go out, you can't go outside and see anything, Craig, can you? are not going to see much of nothing. But let somebody come with a little bit of light, a little flicker of light, and you're going to be able to see measurably more than you could before. Let's look at what verse 2 says about this. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So there's a promise of light that is to come in a dark land. I really venture to say that our land, dark as it is, there's a light that's coming. And the Lord is going to come. And there's a promise of the increased gladness. You know, years ago, I was able to understand the see If I spend more time outside in the sun, what happens? You're happier. The sun does something with your, your body and the way that it reacts to it, it lifts your spirit. When you get outside and spend time walking or doing something else just in the sun, it changes the way you see things. But I think the light being Jesus that is to come and how that changes our attitude, it increases our gladness. Verse 3 says this, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice, they will divide the spoil. In other words, things will get better. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, this is not as bad as it's going to get, but this is not as good as it can get. God is working on something better. And some of us have had some awesome times. When you have a baptism, to me that's like a pinnacle of time. You know, it's this excitement of what God can do. But it's when there's more that God has, even better. God has more for us. The third thing I took away from this passage is the Lord will break every chain and will overcome the grace of enemies. How many of us can testify to the fact that the Lord can break every chain? Amen. Amen. The things which bind us, the sin which entangles us, the difficulties which we muddle through, the darkness which we seem to find ourselves in at times, He can bring us through that. He can help us break every chain. 
and overcome the greatest of enemies. You and I can identify enemies in our lives. But the greatest enemy we face a lot of times is the devil who schemes, right? And whatever we go through, I, I guarantee you he piggybacks on. Spiritual warfare is something that is, is so real that you cannot deny it. But what you can't fight it with is the Word of God. And you can't fight it with the knowledge that he will not leave us in such a mistake. That he fights and he fights hard for us. And he is mightier than all the things which come our direction. Isaiah 9, 4 and 5 says this. It says, For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for their burning, fuel for the fire. The Lord can and will deliver us in His time. The Lord can and will give us what we need in His time. The Lord will fight for us in His time. So there is this understanding that He will break those chains. He's the only one that can. And He will overcome those enemies as He will and has every time. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Lord is faithful. He, he comes through and follows through when nothing else does. And He's there for us in the, the highest of highs and in the lowest of lows. He's there for us when we get a diagnosis we didn't expect. He's there for us when we lose our job. He's there for us when we have a setback. He's there for us when the entire world seems against us. He's there for us when we as believers are standing up amidst the darkness as lights salt light in this world. But there's also in this passage fourthly the promise of a coming Savior. C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciousness, and shouts to us in our pain. C.S. Lewis had a lot of wisdom that penetrated his heart and mind after he began to know Jesus Christ and began to walk with him and began to talk with him. And he would spend so many hours in the woods behind his house, leaned up against the tree, writing the many novels that many of us enjoy based on the things that God was doing in his life and the experiences in his life. So when he says God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our consciousness, and shouts to us in our pain, he really meant it. If you've ever studied the life of C.S. Lewis, you know that he had immense pain in his life. He lost a lot in his life. He lost his wife in his life. He lost so many things, but there was also times of immense joy in his life and what God was doing. Now here's the joy that comes to us in the coming Savior. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Y'all, that doesn't give you reason to say amen. I don't know what will. That the Lord is coming. We celebrate that at Christmas time. But you and I know a greater thing, that the Lord is going to come back one day. The book of Revelation gives us the mindset that he will come. And with him, he'll take us home. But with him comes judgment. But he's coming back. But it's, it's remarkable for me that Isaiah takes a direct account 
of the many things that are to come. Now there's many, many years that are separated between Isaiah and the New Testament, right? The Gospels. But nonetheless, He came. Nonetheless, He was promised. Nonetheless, God was with us. And I believe this, biblically, that there are no limits to what Jesus can do. How many of you believe that? There's no limits. I think sometimes we say, well, I have this person telling me this, this diagnosis here, this individual leading me in this direction, or this is what I believe in myself, but I believe that God is limitless. And I believe He can do far greater and far more when He's in control of our lives. Amen? When we're giving Him everything. And that's why I think it's so important. We think a lot of times when we hit rock bottom in life that, that He's the only way we got to look. It's so much better when we look at Him no matter what we're facing. Even if we're at rock bottom. Even if we're going through difficulties and hardships where there seems to be no end. I've learned of hardships. And I've been through hardships. And I look at it more or less like a season. We're going through seasons. But it's going to change. God's going to do something. When God is at the helm, it's going to change. Charles Spurgeon said this, Suppose you are out at sea in a storm. You are justified by faith, and you say, Well, let the waves roar. Let them clap their hands. My Father holds the waters in the hollow of His hand. Why should I be afraid? Let me say to you that it is worth something to believe that God can put us in a calm state of mind when earth is in its always arms of wrong. It is just so with the believer when temporal troubles come. There comes crash after crash after crash until it seems as though every house of business would come down. Nothing is certain. Man has lost his confidence and reliance in his fellow man. Everything has gone to the bad, but the Christian says God is at the helm. The whole business of business is being managed by the great king. There's no telling what can be done when God is in control, when God is on the move, when God is living and active in your life and mine. There is no limits to what he can do. And when it is managed, guarantee you that his promises are going to remain true. And it says in verse 7, it continues on in Isaiah 9, 7, it says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, this foreshadowing of Jesus, this foreshadowing of his coming, this speaking in Isaiah to the people that were gathered there, I guarantee you they were like, we've been through a lot. A lot of bondage, a lot of difficulty, of oppression, of, of walking in, the, in times where they didn't know how they were going to get the next meal to trusting in God for that day. I think sometimes when we go through hardships, we're like, why me? Instead of saying, God, there's more of you in my life than ever before. Because God, you've moved everything out of the way. So I can see you. And sometimes we move away from trials and difficulties and we say, well, I don't want them. If those trials and difficulties lead us closer to Christ and grow our faith, then do we want them? Of course we do, if we do that. Now, I was reminded this morning as Trevor did his uh, children's sermon with the mirror, as I was thinking about that, I'd already written this, of course, but the focused light of a magnifying glass with the sun shining through it creates a beam which is held in the same place 
creates heat which ignites into a flame to begin a fire. How many of you have ever tried that kind of thing? Maybe as a child, how many of you have set stuff on fire you should do? Okay, we'll talk afterwards. But, but what if we, what if we then live in the light of Christ in such a way that His light shines through us and ignites the darkest of hearts? And what if that concentrated light produced by a maturing Christian draws from the very power of the Holy Spirit, and we know from Scripture this, that nothing can stand against Him who lives inside each and every one of us who believe. I think oftentimes we diminish the power that we actually have in Christ Jesus, don't we? We say, well, I can't do this, or I'm not able to do this, but greater is He who is in you than He is in the world, amen? And everything that we face, sometimes we cower down to it. When God is mighty. God is fierce and strong. And He is not timid. And He does not stand in the corner and cower. Our God stands up and stands tall. And I believe He will do that for each and every one of us who want to stand in the light as He is in the light. The second question goes back to the first thing I asked you this evening. Is there room for Jesus in your life? Maybe your life looks like an episode of the TV series Borders. There's sin lying all around like junk and clutter of those homes. Or maybe like the floorboards of some of your cars if you've got a kid of. Sometimes we have so much in our life that's in the way of what God is trying to do in our lives. I'm so busy. I don't have time. I have a planner. I have this. I have that. I have to go. You don't understand. My boss told me this. My people tell me this. I've got to build this. I've got to do this. I've got to be here. I've got to be there. Where do we have to be? Where do we have to go? We have to spend time with the Lord. Like there's no other time. We have to pray as if time is running out of us and time is very short. But Jesus can do this for us. Jesus can offer you and I forgiveness that will save the most sin-stained soul. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not, why not now? It's about you saying to God that without Him there is no hope and confessing that you need forgiveness and He will forgive you. How about doing that here and now? Because here's what I know and believe. That Jesus can and will break every chain of sin that has held you for so long if you let him. So oftentimes he says it like this, you don't have it because you didn't ask. How many times have we try to just push on through and move on through and we don't ask? We don't come to the Lord. We don't spend time being refueled every day for the battle that we're going to face or that we're in right now. But we can break every chain through Him if we let Him. This, this world needs more people who are willing to make declarations. Albert Schweitzer said this, And to those who obey Him, whether they be wise or simple, He will reveal Himself in the world conflict, the sufferings of which they shall pass through in this fellowship. And as an inevitable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who He is. 
See, I believe that God is always trying to do something. In and through our lives. In and through our church. In and through these people. You and I. All of us here. The question is, is there room in our lives? And if not, what are things that we need to remove or push to the side because they're not nearly as important as an almighty God is spending time with Him? We have so many different things that God wants us to do. So many gifts. So many abilities. For a promised Savior that needs to come to our families, to our friends, to our relationships, to our workplace, to our schoolrooms, to everywhere we go. He needs to be at the forefront and the front of everything. How often times do we read of tragedy in the news? How often times do we hear of things that happen too quickly, people gone too soon? All these things that happen in this world and we didn't give God the time that we ought to give. You and I are mere papers. Today, we're here. Tomorrow, we may not be. We need to make room for God in our lives. We need to make room every day for spending time in God's Word. So when we face the evil one, we will have the Word of God to fight with, right? The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God speaks to us the truth of His love, but also it is a means of fighting the battle that we all face. And I can't claim to know that what everyone has gone through or what you're going through now, and I can't claim to know everything that's going in your mind and heart right now. But a God who can said that if you take my word and put it to work in your life, I'll do something extraordinary that you never understood. But it will be all about my glory. God wants to do great and mighty things in our lives if we let them. And so it's my hope that you say, yes, Lord, there's room for you. Yes, Lord, there's room for you in my life. And Lord, it's time I remove the things from my life, my heart, my walk, that I'll not be there. Because there's nothing important, more important than Him. And there shouldn't be anything that stands in the way of our time with God. If anything else, we should say, what in this world do I need to get rid of so I can have more of Him? And it'd be less about me or anything I have in this world. Y'all, we can have everything we ever wanted and still be as miserable as we can be if we don't have God or He needs to be in our lives. I think sometimes we struggle because we don't go to God like we ought to. We struggle because we're not serving God as we ought to. We struggle because we don't make room for Him as we often do in our lives. If He is our everything, if He paid the price that we could not pay, then we owe Him everything. We go in our very best. We go in everything we can do. For His glory, for His name's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just come to you this day. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to gather together in your house yet again to worship you, the one true living God. God, you spoke forth through Isaiah and through the books of the Old Testament saying that you were coming. You are coming to this world to redeem us from our sin-stained humanity. But you would send us your Son, Jesus Christ, to take our place, an undeserving God who came, both God and man, to die for me and all of us to come, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord might forgive us of all iniquities and give us that fresh new beginning, that fresh start for our good. 
Father God, I pray today that if we'll wait for tomorrow, which may never come, that today we're willing to say yes to you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I need you. Yes, Jesus, save my soul. Yes, Jesus, I believe you. And you have promised every single time that you will come and you will save us. It's not about what we have done. It's about the coming to you of what Jesus has done. And the forgiveness of our sins is just a prayer away. So God, I pray today that if we need to know you as Lord Savior, we do that. God, I also pray that Isaiah 9 serves as a reminder to us that we don't fight this battle alone. That we need not try to use human effort and ability to do the things that you call us to do or the things we think we need to do, Father. Father, we need to make more room for you than ever before. Father, because this world is a dark and dirty place. But Father God, whether we be in the classroom or the boardroom, whether we be on the field or retired, wherever we are, God, I pray that we empty ourselves of us and make more of you. More time for you in our conversations and our serving in the world. The things that we do at our private time as we search scripture and allow for it to permeate our soul. God, we want more of you as Christians. God, we want more of you than ever before. Father, it's in your name that we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. Thank you.